0: United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. America has a lot less influence than people assume. In Iraq, It has not had influence since 2011 on the political pro- pro- process in Iraq, elections, who gets to choose the government, who assigns different roles. This has been 100% an Iranian affair, and it's been that way since 2011. You're listening to War College, a weekly podcast that brings you the stories from behind the front lines. Here are your hosts.
2: Hello. Welcome to War College. I am your host, Matthew Galt. Iraq. Since October of last year, a protest movement has taken hold of the country. After 16 years of conflict, Iraq is tired. Its people want political and economic reforms. America didn't pay attention until, that was, a militia stormed an embassy, America killed an Iranian general, and tensions between the U.S. and Iran flared. For a moment, the whole world paid attention. They should keep paying attention. Here to explain why is Russia Al-Aqidi. Russia is from the Iraqi city of Mosul. She is the managing editor of Raise Your Voice, an Arabic language platform covering politics and society in Iraq. Her work has appeared in the Atlantic, and her research has appeared at George Washington University and in the story and in stories by the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Associated Press. Russia, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me, Matthew.
2: Alright, so we'd like to get, you know, broad stuff here at the beginning, kind of, you know, to get the mm-hmm. basics out of the way. So what, yeah. how did this protest movement start and what are its roots?
0: So protests in Iraq are not, um, are not nearly in concept. Protests have been, have been in Iraq since 2005, 2006. The first major protest started in 2011. It was sort of an extension of the Arab spring, um, happening at the time in Egypt and, and Syria. Um, those were different in that they had more, of a middle class sort of appeal. It was um, against the status quo, but there was no, um, it was basically against living standards, against bad services, but there was no real clear demands of change at the time. They were also oppressed, but not in the sense that we're seeing today. Then protests started happening around 2014, 15, in Basra in the South. They They were sporadic, again, not very aggressive, not very demanding, and they would die out Mostly related to high uh, high temperatures, which usually are um, accompanied with a cut in electricity and running water. So once the weather was sort of cooled down, the protests would kind of die out as well. What happened in 2018, I I believe, in Basra in the south, against horrible services, against polluted water that left hundreds of thousands of people sick. That kind of sparked the movement because that's when the government's reaction, the security apparatus, responded with aggressive violence. And around six protesters were killed. After that, um, Basra's tribes were approached by the government and they sort of reconciled and things calmed down. Beginning of 2019, we noticed um, at Raise Your Voice, the platform that I managed, which we tried to focus on positive stories coming out of Iraq, how people are coping Um, progress that's being made in business, in education, in culture in general, we were struggling to find positive stories. The standards were so low for what was considered a success story. It was mostly people who had nothing, triumphing on very, very little. And it didn't feel normal to report about, for just one example – uh, two sisters in South Iraq who have to walk 9 miles every single day to get to school and one of them walking back carrying her sandals because she's too tired and that was considered a success story because it showed perseverance and it 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 more it showed more how little the government cared about the south and these areas um and how weak the services were so around May 2019 all the way up to August small protests began taking place in Baghdad and in the south they were 10 to 50 people, then it began from 50 to 200 people, and they would leave in the evening. And then we saw around um, around August, uh, graduate students, people who have master's degree and PhDs don't have jobs, began protesting, and they convened sit-ins um, in Tahrir Square. And um, that lasted for a few weeks. And then towards the end of September, the government, that's when the security apparatus responded uh, first, it was with hot water cannons. So, um, And this was around the time that General Abdul Wahab al-Saadi, who most Iraqis considered a hero, um, just to give a brief uh, introduction about him, he was um, head of the elite counterterrorism forces services who helped liberate Mosul with, at the time, minimal civilian casualties. He often displayed characteristics of nationalism. He de- definitely transcended sectarianism, beloved by all the areas that he helped liberate. He was um, he was kind of sidelined and demoted and that angered a lot of people because it gave them the sense that this government only seems to um, reward corruption and not honest Iraqis and people who work hard to serve their countries and war or war heroes in the case of Abdulhab general Saadi so there was a lot of accumulated anger and then on, on September 29th um, there was one particular scene that um, that just went viral on social media and that's part of What we do on the platform is we monitor social media trends, where specifically Facebook, where most of the discussion of Iraqi politics and society happens. Right now, there is a migration to Twitter, but before it was strictly Facebook. There was a lot of anger towards one scene, and it was a young woman donning a full hijab, a student, protesting. And you can see the water tank targeting her directly, and it kind of swooped her away. And that's very offensive in in Iraqi culture, especially for people claiming to defend Iraq's honor and whatnot when a woman is targeted. And then they started vowing that October 1st is going to be the beginning of massive protests. Our reporters were there on the ground at the Square. And up until 2.30, there was around 800 to 2,000. I think it was hard to for our reporter to exactly know the number. He said, but it's not that massive. And then while he was on the phone... We started hearing gunshots and we asked him immediately to evacuate just to leave. He said, no, I want to get some footage. And that's when the first protester f- fell. I still don't know. I don't think anyone has the idea why that specific moment. That was the government's choice to respond. Why? What provoked a security apparatus at the time was the riot police to shoot a protester in the gut and kill him pretty much on spot. And then by the end of that day, or by, I would say 10 p.m. that day, uh, three protesters were dead. And what happened was the numbers quadrupled all across Iraq when they heard that people were actually dying for protesting. This time it was it was Baghdad, Basra, Nasiriyah, immediately also thousands and thousands of young men um, took to the streets. And that lasted all the way up to the 12th. By October 12th, 100 protesters were killed. And the demands started um, increasing. It was first just against corruption. It was for better services, for job opportunities. Then... Um, they wanted accountability. Then they wanted to know um, who was targeting them because there were snipers put placed on different buildings, including the now famous Turkish restaurants, uh, as they call it, snipers, where they're directly targeting these protesters and uh, tear gas canisters, which are not supposed to be used, targeted at any part of the body, were directly aimed at the head with the intention to kill. Uh, this angered the people beyond anything we've seen in Iraq in the last I would say 17 years since 2003. The reaction to it, the emotions, and it were just—it was just—it's unlike anything we've seen before. And the the vast majority of the protesters, their ages are between 15 and 25. Of course, we have older. We have protesters now from previous generations. Um, but it was this defining generation—late, you know, millennials and and Generation Z. These were the kids who were protesting. They had nothing to lose. Um, all they've lived is war and poverty and and uh, and and ISIS and militias, and they were very aware of what was around them. They these were not these were no longer you know a generation that could be fooled by religious or sectarian rhetoric. Um, they were completely disconnected from what the two thousand the post two thousand and three political class had designed uh, had designed Iraq to be like. They were completely disconnected from that. They didn't buy it. It was unconvincing. All they all they have lived in is corruption and death and Iraq staying stagnated. It's almost as Iraq is stuck in time with very little progress um, compared to any of our neighbors compared to the rest of the world. So they there was a two week break and it was to observe the religious ceremony and festivities of, of Ashura. That itself should tell the observers a lot about who's protesting. The fact that they quit the protest for those two weeks to go to walk all the way to Karbala and come back, it really showed their religious identity. It showed that they were Shia Iraqis, but they were not the Shia Iraqis of 2003. They were not the Shia Iraqis that wanted revenge from others. They were not the Shia Iraqis who um, played on that sectarian tune. They had reconciled their Iraqi nationalism with their faith. They didn't see any difference. This hugely is due to the fact that there is free speech to some degree in Iraq. There is a process of democracy since 2003. And these children don't remember the Ba'ath regime. They don't remember Saddam Hussein. Um, If they do remember, it's what their families used to tell them. And they look at how they live now and say, you know what? We're we're not living in much better circumstances. The one thing the Iraqi government had that... um, That was a positive was that it didn't it was never oppressive in the way the Ba'ath regime was towards protesting. And now that was gone. Within 12 days, 100 young men were were killed brutally. No one was held accountable. The friends and families of these young men, they wanted revenge. now. Now, not not revenge in the sense that they wanted to hang anyone. No, as in we want people to hold to be held accountable to this. And many people dismissed October 25 being an actual movement. But when over one million all across Iraq protested, it was clear that this was this had turned into a movement. Now, the numbers, they they differ. So sometimes you find hundreds of thousands on the streets. Um, Other times it's a lot less. But Tahrir Square and the other protest venues in in Basra and in Nasiriyah, they're pretty much packed um, all day. And they have been this way for over 120 days now. And it escalates sometimes when the numbers are larger. You find the governments, the security apparatus, the reactions um is is very, very brutal. Over the past three days, over ten have been killed so far. I assume the number is actually larger. We see again tear gas canisters being aimed at the head and at the gut. Um, once again, live bullets being used. Um, as for who who is actually doing the killing, it's right the riot police. Um, in Baghdad it's, it's the Green Zone Security. And then also um, masked gunmen completely clad in black who don't represent a specific security apparatus that we know of so most likely these are militias and the same militias you see them in the south as well you see them in nasri you see them in basra um, and the more the more this escalated the protest started taking a very bold um, sentiment that was overtly against iran now not against the iran- iranian people i need to emphasize this very very much iraqi's um, have absolutely no issue with Iran as a neighbor. It's with the IRGC influence in Iraq. Um, they see that this is definitely IRGC and IRGC backed militias who are doing this. And they feel that this, this influence is extremely negative. It halts Iraq's progress in addition to, to be, to being very violent towards, towards regular Iraqis. Um, Iran's or the IR Islamic Republic of Iran's, um, strategy in maintaining the status quo in Iraq has been extremely deadly for Iraqi people who, who want to change. So in addition to, to being overtly critic of, of Khamenei, of Soleimani, of the Iranian Bak there were also calls to change the entire system. Now they don't want, it's not regime change, and this is a huge difference. Not one of the protesters is calling on the United States to send in more troops and to topple the current government. That's not what anyone wants. Um, or any foreign force. What they do want is that the system, the way it is, the status quo, is not working. It's extremely corrupt. And they feel that every single person in the government and parliament has blood on their hands because no one has been had, held, held accountable to this moment. Um, they have not exposed who the snipers were. Um, families have not yet been compensate, compensated. And nothing has really been, the demands have not been taken serious. So there's a lot of anger towards that. Um, and then, of course, the the embassy thing happened. So the embassy, the embassy protests were the only protests, unfortunately, that caught attention um, in U.S. media, I believe, because people were able to say, oh, look, Iraqis are angry at America. They want them out of their country. And it was really surprising for me to see the vast majority of Americans had no idea that the U.S. actually left Iraq in 2011. And this was a proper embassy as America has embassies all, all over the world and the number of troops in Iraq, they came after 2014 to fight ISIS, and there's a security agreement. No one really seemed to know, to, to know that. They associated them with the 2003 invasion. And that was the only protest that caught attention, although the ones protesting at the time were openly malicious. They were not even trying to hide it. They, there was a total of two Iraqi flags in a sea of militia banners and uh, IRGC banners and Hezbollah banners. Right. I think this um, is,
2: I, I, yes. I think this is an important distinction to make here. Um, but mm-hmm. I just want to emphasize it for the audience. Um, can yeah. you talk about these, this, this, these militias a little bit more and what distinguishes them sure. from the, the protest movement at large?
0: So the militias, um, they're mostly part of the Hajj al the popular mobilization units, um, that have been around in Iraq for a while, but were sort of officially given a title after 2014 when ISIS took over Mosul. Um, what happened was there was a, there was a, a play, um, of Sistanis fatwa. The Sistanis fatwa particularly said that he encourages young men, the, the jihad fatwa, that he encourages young men to join the security apparatus to defend Iraq. And he considered it like, um, an obligatory jihad. He did not say form a new hashid or form popular mobilization forces. He did not say that, but this was one of the many moments where Qasem Soleimani sort of outsmarted him. And um, this fatwa, however, it gave sort of a green light to reactivate militias that had been around already, but were operating at a much, much lower level. These were groups that were directly um, aligned with, with the IRGC, and they have been since 2006. Muqtada al-Sadr, of course, he his men also joined, but they were more, they had at the time more, Sarai al-Salam had more of a national stance, they were directly, um, they took orders from Muqtada, other groups that there were directly took orders from Sistani. So these formed like the umbrella, These uh, they were all under the umbrella of the PMF. So the Iranian-backed, the IRGC-backed militias, of Hezbollah, and um, uh, Badr, Qawwat Badr, and also the better forces, and also... Assad um, al-Haq, of course, uh, these were the ones who stormed the embassy, and they stormed the embassy as a as retaliation for the U.S. striking a, a military camp that killed 25 cadets. Um, that airstrike a few days prior to the embassy storming was a bit controversial because it did feel like the United States was sort of settling scores at a time where there needed to be focus on the protest and on reforming and you know selecting a new government and that had not happened yet so that was a bit of a distraction also some of those killed were extremely young 21 22 year olds who joined the hashid also for financial reasons some of them had been at tahrir square protesting just days prior so they joined the hashid because they had no other option and there was some, there is some hierarchy that force that um, that um, obligates them to join the ranks of of or go through Hezbollah of Hezbollah camps before. This is something I'm not very familiar with, but some of them, some of the young men who died, the young cadets who died, they really hadn't participated in anything. They had just joined the Hashid. So 25 of them were killed in that airstrike, which in turn was a retaliation also for Kita al- hezbollah uh, targeting in a base where American troops were and killing in a U.S. Con- contractor. So when the embassy storming happened, um, because you saw Americans fla- America's flags you know, being burned and Writings on on writings on the wall that you know said down with the United States and then um, there are some people, unfortunately, in the United States that find that to be very um, very pleasing, which is a bit surprising. So that was that was the headline that caught a lot of attention, and it was Iraqi protesters. That's the headlines that we were in Washington Post and their first edition. They changed that later in New York Times. That was the headline that remained, and. People had maybe vaguely heard of the protest since October, so now it sounded like Iraqis are protesting against the United States, when that was not the case at all. Um, America has a lot less influence than people assume in Iraq. It has not had influence since 2011. On the political pro- pro- process in Iraq, elections, who gets to choose the government, who assigns different roles, this has been 100% an Iranian affair, and it's been that way since 2011. Um, America's role is to help, has been to help with the fight against ISIS. It's been very consistent in that Um, the PMF also had a role in fighting ISIS, but it was fighting ISIS while securing IRGC interests in the country. It was not just let's fight ISIS for the sake of Iraq or for the sake of even Iranian security. It was we need to fight ISIS at the same time guarantee that IRGC's influence influence in Iraq is very secured. Um, So now the protesters were confused on one hand. They saw militias very easily going into the green zone, approaching the U.S. embassy with not w- as much as one bullet shot, even at their direction. Whereas hundreds of young men were killed by snipers for just approaching the bridge that leads to the green zone. So it seems everyone knew who was in charge here and yeah, the security just, apparatus. This is,
2: another th- yeah. this is another thing I want to highlight, um, mm-hmm. is that... Had there been attempts by the protest movement not connected to the militias to get into, there had been, sorry, Mm -hmm. there had been attempts by the uh, protest movement to get into the green zone prior to the militia getting in, right? Mm -hmm. And this was when the sniper attacks happened.
0: Yes, this was in early October. So it wasn't even getting into the green zone. Like it was just crossing the bridge uh, because there's so the green zone is separated from the square by by a bridge just that you, you hear a lot about and uh, just approaching that and that's when they have been that's when they were targeted and it was like direct shots there are plenty of videos that show it um, whereas for these other protesters they went into the green zone very easily without any objection there was like this one video of, of an officer kindly politely asking one of the militia militia protesters here between quotation marks um, please please Kind of very kindly, politely asking him, please move away. Please don't do this. I beg you. And he got hit by them, and they pushed him away to the side, and they just entered. So you see here who has influence and who the Green Zone security are definitely, definitely afraid of or who they consider not to be touched with, whereas they were shooting at protesters, the other protesters at ease without, without even second thought.
2: Just to say it out loud, Iran – <laughs> right is what you is is what you're implying. Well,
0: well, the militias backed by the IRGC, absolutely. Okay. Now, keep, yeah, keep in mind this was before Abu Mahdi and Muhandis and qasim Suleimani were were killed. They were still alive at this point, so it made that that was another thing. So it was clear that these protests were protests were definitely organized by the Hashid. And when we say by the IRGC backed Hashid, we definitely mean the higher ranks knew about it. This was not a spontaneous thing.
2: Another thing that we're seeing in Western media right now—it's faded away a little bit—was that you know the Iraqi Parliament wants America out, and that the protest movement is now yeah. mad at America instead of Iran. What's mm-hmm. like what's the truth to that, and what are we getting so, wrong?
0: So the Parliament, and this is what I find really really funny, is that it's like Iraq voted that the United States needs to leave. Um, first of all, the United States has left already. Like I said earlier this was a, there's a security agreement and um, because of the fight against ISIS. So the vote that happened in the parliament, um, it did not even meet the basic standards of the quote is necessary to uh, to pass. And we don't have a prime minister. I, I forgot to mention this early on because of the, protests, the Prime Minister Adel Abdul Mahdi did resign he is now playing the role of the caretaker prime minister so legislations as big as huge as this they they require the prime minister to be present he is not he is not the prime minister that's first of all and that there were not enough people in parliament's actually for that vote to pass in addition to several parliament members coming up coming out days earlier before the vote and saying we are being threatened And we are receiving death death notes on our mobile phones saying that if we don't vote for this, they will kill us or kill our families. So this was not an ordinary vote. This was this was something very, very exceptional. And um, it was non-binding in that sense is that it still has to go through the president's office. There still has to be a prime minister involved. It's it was very symbolic in a way. But of course, the media picked picked it up as uh, this is a vote against the United States and America has to leave. The protesters, the real protest movement, now sort of was in was sort of in a dilemma. They've never been pro American in that sense. They've never called for the U.S. to come and you know rescue them. It, it was not like in Hong Kong in a sense where you see American and British flags. You don't see any of that in Iraq. It, it, that was never the case. But now they sort of had to prove that they were not backed by the United States because they said, "Okay, let's not." They, They did not want to focus on on this. They wanted to focus on their main goals and changing the government, having a new prime minister, early elections, and uh, reforming the constitution. And that stopped becoming the focus because Muqtada Sadr was now involved and he was threatening to bring out his millions of followers also against the United States. So they didn't want to be, they were put in a position where they're criticizing Iran, they're not criticizing the United States, whereas Muqtada al-Sadr and everyone else sort of is specifically after the killing of Bassem Suleimani and Abu Mahdi Mohandis. So the protests now have said, look, we don't want either. We don't want influenced by either. We want this to be an Iraqi affair. We don't want American influence. We don't want Iranian influence either. And that has that has not really changed the perception on the other side. Um, they call Iraqi protesters Joker and with reference to the actual movie, <laughs> which uh, is wanna, a huge thing right now. I want to
2: <laughs> I want to get into that because I think. I yeah. think that's interesting, but can you can you give us the some of the audience may not know who Al Sadr is. Okay. Can you give us the brief um, the so, the brief bio there?
0: Yeah, so Al Sadr he comes from a very affluent um, religious family um, in in Iraq, and um, he's the remaining son that he's the son that actually has the influence at the moment. He's become he has this massive followership, in an entire neighborhood massive in size named after him. And in 2006, he took a very, since 2003, sorry, he's taken a very open anti-American position. He doesn't necessarily side with Iran on most things, and he's always portrayed himself as an Iraqi nationalist, um, but he's been overtly anti-American. And it was his Jaysh al-Mahdi, the Mahdi army, that was responsible for scores of deaths among U.S. troops. And um, some of the worst militias like Asaibah al and Kitab Hezbollah, they sort of all branched out from Jaysh al-Mahdi. Although he did disown them, it still wasn't, um, they did not stop their activity. And um, so Maqdad has always been this, they, they use the word firebrand to describe him. I personally dislike that word because for a time he did sort of calm down and he entered politics later on. He started um, preaching about reconcil- recon- reconciliation with Sunnis and with the Kurds. And for a while, he seemed to be quite moderate in a sense. But ever since the protest he sort of lost that balance because he does feel that the religious institution, and I think this is most of the post-2003 order, they feel that this young generation has a very, very different take on what a Shia identity actually means. And I think that does scare them a bit in what the future might hold, where religious institutions have less and less and less influence. Because there is a sense of new defined nationalism where Iraq is above all. And that has not happened like a pure, authentic Iraqi moment has not happened in the recent history of Iraq. Iraq has never really had its own moment. Um, Even the fall of Saddam Hussein, America was involved. And everything, even with, with defeating ISIS, for example... Iran and the militias were involved and destructions, the destruction of tens of cities and the death of hundreds of thousands of people. I I believe the number is close to 100,000 at least. This is kind of, you know, young Iraqis taking their country back and not being afraid to pay the price for it. It's a new sense of nationalism that anyone who's been in a position of leadership after 2003 doesn't really seem to comprehend um, so and Muqtada also he loves relevance; he loves to be in the spotlight, he loves getting all the attention, so he had to sort of attempt to hijack or be in the spotlight, but noticing that the protests were being overtly anti Iran and very little mentioning the United States, he intervened and re- and just in in two days he's announced that his followers are going to protest within the millions, and they're not they their demands are not different from the these protesters; they also want change but it's going to be overtly against the United States presence. So we're still going to monitor how that, how that, you know, kind of turns out, how that plays out on the streets.
2: Now, what exactly are the, the concrete goals and demands here?
0: So they first want the appointment of a prime minister, an interim prime minister that is not accused of corruption, has not been involved in the political process post 2003, um, has, uh, is not affiliated with any of the current parties like an independent and that they can approve of. And the first thing that he does is, you know, set a time for early elections and the protest movement has not been able to present its own leaders because the few who are suspected of being leaders are being immediately assassinated. And this is, it's kind of frustrating having to repeat this point constantly when talking to activists or talking, to other researchers and journalists is that, oh, these protests don't have a leadership movement. So that does mean that they're definitely doomed. Well, the reason they don't have is because they're killing them. So let's find a way to protect these protesters first and its leadership. And then maybe one of them can come forward and and something can come out of it. But if people are being kidnapped every single day, assassinated, sometimes in broad daylight, in addition to the protesters being killed, also, every day, of course, they're not going to declare their leadership anytime soon. But, but what they do want is an interim prime minister, a new government, and then early elections. And they do want international support um, with this within, like, for the, for example, like the United Nations monitoring the elections, um, overseeing how the political protest, uh, process plays out later on. Um, they don't want Iraq to be left alone. But that does not mean foreign intervention, as in let's invite other armies to take people out. It, that's those are the core demands. And then recently, um, more demands have been added, and that's accountability. Um, they want to see people, who, those who have been killing the protesters, brought to justice. That's been a, that's a core demand. And I personally think it's a lot wiser that the government does this at this point because the streets are definitely losing patience. Um, the number has now definitely passed 600. And it, young people are very, very angry and we no one wants to see no one wants to see the protest turn turn overtly violent where they do have that, you know, aim of revenge. It has not re, it, it hasn't gotten there yet. And they're they've been saying these are peaceful. We only, We are not fighting back. We're only carrying flags. And we see that in the video. They're being shot with only banners. But at some point they're going to get guns and they're going to defend themselves.
2: Explain why – who is the caretaker prime minister? Why is he only a caretaker? Uh, And what kind of political power does he have that differs in any way from a regular prime minister? I know that you'd said that uh, it would have been impossible to pass the the resolution to push out the Americans without a real prime minister. Why is he – why is that different than a caretaker?
0: um so the caretaker prime minister adil abdel mahdi he was he did he resigned uh due to to the pressure from the protests and um it's it's part of it's just it's, it's part of the system that a temporary prime minister cannot carry out like some of the very important laws um especially those that have that, that require legi- legislation uh that's just part of the constitution uh, so he carries out like the day-to-day tasks and Pretty much everything else at the at the lower more, more domestic level um, of things. and uh, it, I say th- I believe also according to the Constitution, the, the president should have by now already formed a new government or, or chose a new prime minister. but that hasn't happened yet. and every name that's mentioned every prime minister that um, is rumored to be the next prime minister is immediately rejected by the protesters because they feel it's from the same clout, it's the same group, also has the Da'wah and different, the, the parties that have been ruling Iraq for a long time, names that are associated with, with corruption and sectarianism. So that's that's another problem. Um, I feel that for the time being, there are a few popular names um, in Iraq I can mention. I know only one of them, to be honest. The others, it's a strictly Baghdad affair. They're saying we have nominations, people who are independent who we have no problem with. I don't know who they are. The only name that pops to my head is Saek Sheikh Ali. He's a controversial member of Parliament. Um he has he has earned himself quite a fan base in Tahrir Square for being very honest. He's very um he's very bold in his statements. He uses derogatory language sometimes to describe the government and that's kind of won over the young people. Um, as to how successful he'll be that's another that's another question. I don't feel that this government, this current government is willing um, to give up power um, anytime soon. Um, I think they're definitely holding on to it. And if it means that they that they give more leverage to the militias to use more force against the protesters, they possibly will do that. So, yeah, Abdul Abdul Mahdi, he, he's here, you know, but God knows how long because there's not really an alternative. So he cannot carry out just like the major legislations and anything related to sort of foreign affairs, but he can pretty much, he pretty much does everything else.
2: Tell me about Joaquin Phoenix's Joker movie.
0: Okay. So um, when, when the movie uh, came out, it was, um, it was in, in Baghdad cinema around the same time. It was the rest of the world. I think the protesters at the time in those final scenes of the movie, a spoiler alert for people who haven't watched it yet. Um, when you know there are cars burning and there was sort of this revolution against the elites and everyone was in masks, I think that kind of they kind of related with that scene to some extent. So some protesters um, began photoshopping the Joker into Hyde Square while he's running away and there are cars, you know, blown up behind him and and burned tires and tear gas and also just the idea of a mask because they were wearing masks from the tear gas. They also associated the mask somehow with that. And it was basically just um, just anger against the system. They they associated with they associated the protest sort of with that. And then there was a counter narrative to that. That, no, this person was not a revolutionary. He was simply a mentally ill human being who struggled a lot and did not have any medication. So he turned violence into a killer. So then they stopped using his image to represent the protests. But by that time, the other side, you know, the pro militia side, the pro government side had already used that against them, saying you, you're inspired by an American character, um, against your own country. So now when they say the Joker, it's definitely used in a derogatory way as it's, it's the same thing as calling someone a Zionist or, or a, a Freemason. And it's really funny. There was actually this one poster saying that America had first, um, brought in the U.S. troops to invade Iraq, and then in 2014, America created ISIS, and now America has created the Joker, as if the Joker is a real person, which is, is kind of funny, but it's very typical of of the militia way of thinking, where everyone is the enemy, and there, there has to be always some sort of treason on the other side, because if you're not with them, you're definitely a traitor. So that's a, that's basically the story. And it's, it's interesting that it's being used in, in popular discourse, like it's in, in mainstream Iraqi television, when they talk about the protesters, they officially say a group of jokers, for example, did this and cut off the road. And then you, you look at them, they're 16, 17 year old Iraqi kids waving Iraqi flags. There's nothing joker about that at all. But that's how they're describing them, like in mainstream, which is quite, quite an accomplishment for, for Todd Phillips, I think to be this international.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's strange the way that movie has kind of, uh, I don't think we, I don't think people in America realize how well it's doing outside of America and how much it, it's
0: me. Yeah. Lebanon. too. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. It's not just Iraq. Um, I'm going to bring in Kevin, my producer here because he just got back from, uh, Iraq and I wanted to ask him and he spent time with coalition forces there. And I wanted to ask him how Kevin, uh, how do the coalition forces see these protest movements and what did they tell you? What have their opinions been?
1: Well, obviously officially, uh, the coalition has no opinion on that and the Iraqis have their rights and should be respected as such. Um, off the record, um, I got a range of opinions, I think from people, because obviously this is something that's, they're kind of caught in the middle of. Um, it was interesting when this whole thing started, uh, The initial thing that they said immediately was uh, we have the right to defend ourselves because I think they were a little bit unsure how uh, the protesters were going to relate to them, especially when they started trying to get to the green zone. I think one of the questions was, are we a target here Um, now that I think they realize that they're not a target? um, They have a range of opinions, Um, definitely among some of the enlisted guys. I kind of heard some kind of off the cuff talk about how they are actually very impressed with them. Um, like it's, it's obviously not an official government position, but their personal opinion is they think it's really cool that these young people are fighting for their rights. How, you know, that's something that and some of the older guys, actually some of the older enlisted guys who'd had multiple tours said, you know, finally, this is kind of what we would have liked to see these young people do. Um we would like to see them have some sort of democratic life, uh, regardless of whether we did it or somebody did it. Um, Higher up the chain, I think there's a little bit of, well, there's certainly some schadenfreude in looking at seeing the Iranian project get a lot of trouble and seeing this sort of anti-Iranian sentiment and not being the center of it. But there's also some concern about, where this could go if things were to get violent, if this were to turn into a new civil war or things were to collapse while American troops are in the middle of it. That's something that's on their minds and frightens them a little bit. Um, but ultimately it's just their, their, their big thinking really has been they just want to focus on the anti-ISIS mission. That's really been the opinion that I get from. A lot of people, and they've been watching this, but ultimately they want to stay out of it as much as possible and let Iraqis sort it out, which I don't think is what a lot of people would believe American troops feel about it. But that's definitely the strong impression I got and sometimes explicitly what people told me.
2: I think it speaks to that misperception that that we've kind of broken down this episode. And Kevin, you even got on to me a little bit. Uh, in in the show notes before the show started that um, as Russia said like America is not occupying the country currently That's not the nature of the military presence there right but alright I've got one more question uh, if you've got the time Russia Mm -hmm. so Solomon is dead did you ever think you would be looking at the Middle East without him uh, and how does it change things
0: (laughs) oh absolutely not um, when we're asked, sort of in our field of work, to give an outlook on something uh, for the past four or five years, it's also it's always been, okay, this this will happen, this might happen, but what would so- what would Qasem Soleimani think of this? What would his position be on this? And he's sort of the first um, person we would consider uh, because he's been obviously very influential in calling the shots in Iraq, in Lebanon, in Yemen. Um, in Syria, obviously, where his impact uh, has been perhaps the most devastating. So, um, yeah, when I got that call and uh, it was it was very shocking. I, I didn't believe it until I heard it from the Iranian agencies uh, when they confirmed that he was indeed killed. Um, what does it mean? It leaves a lot of room for revenge. Um, it leaves the IRGC in a position where it still wants to be obviously viewed and feared and and, uh, not perceived as weak. Um, I don't believe their reaction towards the United States so far has been satisfactory for them or their followers. Uh, But the militias have been, even so far, the reaction or the revenge that they claimed has been quite tamed. But um, there is still a lot of room for revenge. And I fear that this revenge will be taken out on Iraqi protesters more because, um, Suleimani's project at the end of the the end of the day in Iraq was to maintain the status quo as it is, prevents any positive change in the country, um, sort of manage Iraq as it is basically managing rubble as I, I I prefer calling it, where the country is barely functioning but it doesn't function outside of of sort of the Iranian sphere, and there is at the end of the day the main goal was also to expel the U.S. troops and the remaining. Uh, troops in the, of the United States, where the, even the anti-ISIS campaign is a pure IRGC affair in the country, managed by the militias and other security apparatus. Uh, how that's going to to, to play out, um, it depends also, it's it's highly related on how this government decides to act towards the protest. If they want to remain in power, which is what I'm seeing, excessive violence may be used against the protesters. And this government therefore gives further um, concedes further to the militias, offer that offers them more power, more immunity, and um, that definitely does not um, play out well for Iraq. But it might assure the IRGC sort of influence and leverage um, for a longer term. Um, today in Lebanon, I think. I don't follow that close enough, but with the new government there, I believe Hezbollah is also in a secure place. So it doesn't mean a lot has changed in terms of how the IRGC IRGC operates, but they definitely lost an extremely charismatic character that is going to be impossible to replace. There was an aura about uh, Suleimani that I don't say this in a positive way or praising him, obviously, but that's going to be hard to to replace. Um, And we have to also look into how the militias here, Iraqi militias, respond to the IRGC after his death and Suleiman and, and uh, um, Abu Mahdi al-Muhandis After their deaths, how they respond to it? Um, if, will they follow the same the leader, the new leadership, in the, the same way? Those two are extremely charismatic, and people people so their followers genuinely love them. So, will they be able to? Will that be replaced? Um, I, I don't believe that will be that will be easy to achieve. Um, as for the escalation with the United States, I think we're pretty much past it. I think most of it is is already done. Um, I don't see escalation happening um, anytime soon, um, at least towards U.S. bases. I mean, there were you know Katyusha, uh shots to, um, strikes at the Green Zone, but beyond that, it's not going to be anything too serious. I think also the IRGC is going to recalculate its steps because they see now America is responding back in a quite an aggressive way with um, very little to stop it. You know That was not the scenario before where they could kidnap, they could escalate without really without any repercussion. But that's not the situation anymore. So they're definitely also uh, recalculating. And it's been a tough, a tough month or so for Iran, I believe, extremely tough month. With everything that's going on there so it's just it's it's anyone's guess how the irgc decides to play it out in iraq but my guess is is that it would definitely attempt to preserve the status quo which means further crackdown on the protesters
2: Al alkidi thank you so much for coming on to war college and walking us through this this complicated but important topic
0: thank you so much matthew
2: That's all for this week, War College listeners. War College is me, Matthew Galt, and Kevin Nodell. It is a creation of myself and Jason Fields. If you like the show, please follow us on Twitter at war underscore college. I am at mjgault on Twitter, and Kevin is at kjknodell. We will be back next week with more stories from behind the front lines. Stay safe until then.